Good morning, everyone. Welcome. Glad to have you here today. And it's gl- I'm glad to be here today. <laughs> I tell you what, uh, after uh, being, a, being away out of town a week and being sick for two weeks, I've just kind of skipped March so far, haven't I? Uh, but I'm glad to be back among the living and, uh, and being with you today, and it's good to, to share this time together. We, wel- we welcome everyone, and uh, hope God's going to bless you in a very special way today. Let me remind everyone of our attendance sheets on each row. We'd like to ask, if you would, to... Take those and fill them out so we can have a record of your attendance with us today. And go ahead and take your phones and check in today as well. And a few uh, announcements that I would like to bring to your attention. First of all, uh, one of the things that we do as, as, as a mission, as a ministry here at Community Baptist Church, is that we serve lunch to uh, Salvation Army uh, several times a year, four or five times a year, I guess it is. And we are scheduled to do that this this. Saturday, this Saturday, and so we're looking for some volunteers to uh, serve lunch on Saturday, and if you would like to uh, volunteer, then see Christine Cornelius, and uh, she'll, she'll be sure to, to set you up for that. Also, it's a busy week, folks, it really is. Uh, we're in the middle of the season of Lent, and a part of what we do during Lent is we, we gather with different churches uh, for our Lenten lunches on Wednesdays uh, during the season of Lent, and uh, we've been to the First Christian Church, we've been to the Presbyterian Church, and this week it's our turn to host the Lenten lunch. We're getting all set up with that uh, for our lunch and and our service on Lent on Wednesday. So we, we invite you to come and be a part of that uh, to to worship with us. We we will have a about a half an hour worship service at twelve o'clock, and then lunch immediately after. After that, and uh, it's always a wonderful time to share in this ecumenical um, uh, expression of faith during the, the season of Lent. So we invite you to come and be a part of that. You'll also see in your in the bulletin that there are a list of flowers that are available to to purchase during the uh, uh, for Easter. And if you would like to purchase some flowers, uh, then call the church office and, and place your order. Um, since since we're doing the the Lenten lunch on Wednesday, we will not be having dinner Wednesday night. We will be go, we will go ahead and have Bible study and and uh, choir practice, but no dinner for Wednesday night. So you can eat either before or after. And a couple of meetings that didn't make it to the bulletin. We're having a missions team meeting at 4 o'clock and a worship team meeting at 5 o'clock and pickleball at 4 o'clock. So there's lots to do this afternoon. Uh, So let's stand and share the love of God with one another and celebrate together. Thank you, guys. Good job.
remain standing for prayer. Let us pray together. Oh God, who loves the world so much, we come to meet you here today knowing that not only that we are loved by you, but also that we have so much love to give away. Help us to decide what to do with this precious gift that you have given to us. We can hold on to it tightly instead of loving other people. That would probably be the safe thing to do. That would be the comfortable thing for us to do. Or we can open our hands to see where your love will take us. And that's risky. It may take us to places that we don't really want to go. It may require us to love people that we don't really want to love. Or it may call for a confidence and a strength that we don't think we have. The fact is that sometimes it's hard to care. It's hard to extend ourselves to let other lives matter. But God, when we really, really care, we can do nothing less than to listen with the ears of our hearts, to sit by a stranger who becomes a friend, to spend hours by a hospital bed, to do something for someone else purely and simply because it is the right thing to do. And when we do these kinds of things, we discover parts of ourselves that we may not have seen for years. And we are pursued by the love of Christ who came into the world and hurt with us who cried over Jerusalem, who wept for Lazarus, who feels each pain, who suffers with and loves every single soul on this earth as if it were his only child. Oh God, we have so much to repent about the times that we have not loved, with so much love to give away. Forgive us, O Lord, and make us more like you. Amen.
be seated. And children, if you could come down front and join us for children's moment. Can you hear me now? Yeah. I got it, Tim. <laughs> Good morning. Uh, John Dunham couldn't be here, and Miss Mary's feeling a little under the weather, so I'm going to do children's moment today. So today, Dr. Hobbs is talking about if people say they have faith but do nothing, their faith is worth nothing. Do you guys know what faith means? Mm-mm. Davis says no. <laughs> To me, I think that faith means things, having a belief in something you can't see is kind of how I would describe faith. And I'd like to tell you about a few people who I believe had faith and did something about their faith. And they were good champions of Christ and good champions of this church. One of those people um, was a lady named Miss Cindy Hall. Miss Hall was one of the calmest people you'd ever meet in your life. And Miss Hall always had time to listen to you. She was my Sunday school teacher whenever I first started going here. And Miss Hall, she had cancer and passed away. But even whenever she was sick, she was always talking about faith, always living out her faith. And she transcended that to her daughter, Jenny, who you guys might get to see sometimes when she comes in. And um, with Jenny, Jenny translates faith into things she does every day. If you have Jenny on Facebook, if I'm having a bad day or something, I'll always go to Jenny's Facebook. Because Jenny's always telling a funny story. Rachel's shaking her head back there. Or she is, uh, you know, always telling about how God has done something in her life every single day. Um, And Jenny says she homeschools two children. A lot. So that will test your faith alone. <laughs> but she is she is always upbeat. Um, and like her mother, always has time to listen if you have a problem. Another person whose birthday is also today. Uh, Mr. Larry back there is 69 today. Yay. Mr. Larry translates his faith into work every day. So some people, whenever they show their faith, it isn't by talking or listening. It's by doing things, you know, doing physical tasks. Mr. Larry, um, a while back, he broke one of his ribs, which you guys can imagine would be pretty painful, right? And he wasn't looking so hot, and he was sounding a little rough too. But he knew that people in Henderson still needed habitat homes, and so Larry still came into work every day, even though we told him to go home. He came into work every day and still worked and still helped us. And Larry and I also have to build, we do something called building on faith. Sometimes Larry and I are going to do a project, and we don't have the money for that project. And we don't know quite where that money is going to come from, but we, Larry and I say, all right, if we are doing the Lord's work, if we have faith, you know, that we are doing what God wants us to do, then the project will work out. Even though we usually have two different ways of doing the project, right, Larry? We always make it to the end. Now, the third person that I'd like to tell you guys about is Miss Rachel Hobson. Rachel is actually going to speak with the youth today, so I'm not going to tell you too much about Rachel's story. But Rachel, um, you know, she has had unwavering faith. So when I'm having a bad day or I get frustrated, I think, you know what, if Rachel can keep her faith, I can probably keep mine. 
And even during difficult times, whether that difficult time was in her life or some difficult times that I've had in my life, you know, I might not talk to Rachel for, you know, three or four months except for seeing her at church. But if I have a problem, I know that Miss Rachel is there and I can call her and that, you know, I have the faith that I can lean on Rachel when I'm having a hard time or that she can do that with me. So my question with you guys is, what are ways that you guys could show faith? Davis? By drawing pictures. If someone is sick, you know, or maybe they're having a bad day, they would probably love a picture, right? Do you draw your parents' pictures maybe when they think you think they're having a bad day? Yeah. Some, another one might be to be nice to others at school. You know, if somebody else is sitting by themselves or you can tell they're just having a bad day or they just need somebody to talk to, we should be their friend, right, Davis? Mm-hmm. Um, you could tell them about God. Um, you could volunteer. The church, Dr. Hobbs apparently has, like, multiple volunteer opportunities this week, guys. So, um, you know, volunteering, it always kind of warms my heart and makes me have a better day when I've helped somebody else. Um, and Miss Kinley, I have to tell you guys a funny story about her before we uh, go back. Miss Kinley, she had to come find Bella earlier. And I said, oh, Bella's at church. And Kinley said, yeah, because I invited her. <laughs> so I said, oh, so no one drove her here. You just brought her yourself, Kinley. And she said, yeah. So um, if we could all be a little more like Miss Kinley and just invite all our friends. Um, so we're the youth um, and the children's. We're going to meet um, behind this wall back here. There's some treats back there. And like I said, we're going to get to hear um, an amazing um, testament of faith from Miss Rachel today. So I'm really excited. So if you would bow your heads and pray with me for a minute. Dear God, please help us to remember that everyone can use a kind word, that everyone needs to know about God, and that we should always jump out of our comfort zone and help others, because sharing the faith is what we're here to do. Amen. Amen.
Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for gathering us in your house today, worshiping your name in the presence of your love for us. Let us bring hope and righteousness to good faith that we hold to the path that leads us to forgiveness to others. Bless us with this offering we send to the foundation of this house and for our generosity. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
Today's scripture is from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 13, verses 6 through 9. Then he told this parable. A man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came looking for fruit on it and found none. So he said to the gardener, See here, for three years I've come looking for fruit on this fig tree, and still I find none. Cut it down. Why should it be wasting the soil? He replied, Sir, let it alone for one more year until I dig around it and put manure on it. If it bears fruit next year, well and good. But if not, you can cut it down. This is the word of the Lord. choir. That's a beautiful song. Takes me back. I remember singing that song many, many years ago. And what a beautiful song it is. You know, we Christians are um, 
I've noticed this. We Christians are generally pretty adept at talking about sins, aren't we? And um, some of us can be very quick to point out the sins in someone else's life. We have a tendency to do that. And so with that in mind, I want to ask a very important question this morning. And that question is, what is the worst sin that any of us can commit as a follower of Jesus Christ? And of course, I'm assuming that we're not going to murder someone or rob a bank or anything like that. So what is the worst thing that we can do as a follower of Jesus Christ? Let's think about that for a moment. Jesus told a parable. A man had a fig tree growing in his vineyard, and he went to look for fruit on it, but did not find any. And so he said to the caretaker, for three years now I've been looking for fruit on this tree, but haven't found any. Cut it down. Why should it use up the soil? But the caretaker replied, sir... Let's leave it alone for one more year, and I'll dig around it, and I'll fertilize it. And if it bears fruit next year, fine. If not, then I'll cut it down. Now let's go back to the question that I began with. In light of this parable, as a follower of Jesus Christ, what is the worst sin that you can commit? Yes! Thank you, thank you. The the answer to that question, the worst thing that you can commit is to do nothing. To do nothing. Doing nothing, or in, in this case, not bearing fruit, is the quickest way to disqualify you from the kingdom of God. You may have heard about the two men who were talking about their their longtime friendship. Uh, one of them said, "We've been friends for 25 years now, and there's nothing that we wouldn't do for for one another." And the other man said, "And that's exactly what we've been doing for one another for 25 years. Absolutely nothing." Well, as followers of Jesus Christ, that's the worst thing that we can do. In light of this parable of the fig tree, nothing. Remember Jesus' parable of the sheep and the goats? What was the decisive factor between the sheep going into the kingdom of God and the goats being thrown into the lake, lake of fire? I mean, what did those goats do that was so terrible? Well, they did nothing. Absolutely nothing. In Matthew 25, the king says to the goats, I was hungry and and you gave me what? You gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me what? You gave me nothing to drink. I was sick and in prison and you did what? You didn't visit me. In other words, you had your chance to minister to me when I was at my worst and you did what? Nothing. And then he speaks those devastating words. When you did not do it to the least of these, you did not do it to me. So what was the sin of the goats who went into the lake of fire? It was the sin of doing nothing. Jesus told another story in Luke 16 about a rich man who was dressed in in purple and fine linens and he lived a life of luxury and 
While at his very gate lay a beggar named Lazarus, covered with sores and longing to, to eat whatever crumbs fell off of the, man, the rich man's table. And then the time came when the beggar died, and the angels carried him off to Abraham's side in heaven. And the rich man also died, but he didn't go to heaven. Instead, he found himself in hell where he was tormented. And he looked up and saw Abraham far away and Lazarus by his side. And he called out to Abraham and said, Have pity on me, Father Abraham, and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger into some cold water to cool my tongue, because I am in agony in this fire. Now, why did the rich man end up in such a terrible situation? Well, there's nothing in this story to indicate that he ever did anything wrong except for one thing. He did nothing. There was a poor man literally lying at his gates and he did nothing to help. So often in Jesus' teaching, this is the sin that condemns people. It's not some desperately evil deed. It's not some terrible act of violence that they've done. But it's something good that they didn't do. In Matthew 25, just before the parable of the sheep and the goats... Jesus tells another parable about a man going off on a journey and he called his servants together and entrusted his wealth to them. To one he gave five bags of gold, to another two bags of gold, and to another one bag of gold. And then he went off on his journey. And when the man who received the five bags of gold, he went at once and put the money to work for his for his uh, his his uh, boss there, and he gained five more bags of gold. He turned that five bags of gold into two into ten bags of gold. The the person the servant with two bags of gold did the same thing. But the man who received only one bag of gold, what did he do? He went and he dug a hole in the ground and he hid his master's money. Well, after a while, the man came back to settle accounts with his servants, and the man who had received five bags of gold, brought the other five bags and said, Master, you entrusted me with five bags of gold. See, I've gained five more. And the master said, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many. Come and share your master's happiness. That same scenario played out with the servant who was given two bags of gold and earned two bags more. The master was, was tremendously pleased. But then the man who had received one bag of gold said, Master, I knew that you are a hard man and, and you harvested where you do not sow and you gather where you do not scatter seed. And so I was afraid and when I, and I went out and I hid your gold in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. And that's all. And what was the master's reaction? Not so good. You wicked, lazy servant, he said. You knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gathered where I have not scattered seed. Then you should have at least put my money in the bank so it would earn interest. 
And I would receive it back with interest. Then he said, take this bag of gold from him and give it to the one who has ten. And throw that worthless servant out into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. What What did he do that was so wrong? Well, it's not what he did. It's what he didn't do. He did nothing. It's easy to feel sorry for this poor guy. I mean, he was probably a nice guy, but folks, being a nice guy or or a nice lady, it, it, it isn't nearly as important as making your life count for something. And how do you make your life count for something? By using what you have for God's glory and making this world a better place. And I could keep on going with this theme right on through lunch and beyond. And I can tell that some of you are a little worried that I might do that. <laughs> but don't worry, I, I, I saw this week, there was a meme I saw on, on Facebook this week. There was a meme that said that there's a fine line between a long sermon and a hostage situation. <laughs> I'm not going to take you too long, but I'm not done yet. For example, remember the story of the rich ruler who turned back rather than giving up his wealth and following Jesus? By his own admission, he had, he had kept all of the commandments from the time he was a youth. But when the opportunity came for him to make his life count for something, he turned back. He was a good man. But apparently he was good for nothing. Or the priest and the Levite on the road to Jericho who passed by on the other side and left the poor man who had been beaten and robbed, lying in a ditch, bleeding to the point of death. What was their sin? They had the opportunity to help someone in need and they did nothing. My friends, I believe that this is the most consistent theme in all of Jesus' teachings. The sin which most of us are guilty of, the sin that threatens to keep us out of the kingdom of God, it's not some terrible deed that we have committed. Rather, it is a sin of omission. It is the sin of doing nothing when we have the opportunity of doing something productive, something that will help someone in need, something that will glorify God. But some of you more theological minds may ask, well, yeah, but but didn't Paul warn us against depending on our works for our salvation? And, And you're right, he did. But you need to understand that Paul's teaching grew out of his futile struggle as a Pharisee to try to keep all of the rules and regulations of, of, of the Jewish faith. And he discovered that trying to keep all those rules, for one thing, he couldn't do it. And secondly, it just made him miserable trying to do it all. And it did not save him. And so when he was talking about the law and, 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 and works of, uh, of righteousness, these things that weighed him down, he was not talking about the law of Christ, which we call the great commandment. 
He never meant that we were to ignore the teachings of Jesus concerning bearing the fruit of love. He knew that this is what the great commandment was all about. That you can't love God and you can't love your neighbor as you love yourself and sit idly by when a fellow human being, regardless of who they may be, needs help. The beggar at the door or at our border or in our parking lot or down the street or under the bridge or across the world And so Jesus told this parable. A man had a fig tree growing in his vineyard and he went to look for fruit, but it, there was none on it. And so he told the caretaker, I've been coming here for three years to look for fruit on this tree and I haven't found any. Cut it down. Why should it use up the soil? And folks, he was talking about us. When we're not bearing fruit. What kind of fruit? Well, talk, Paul talked about the, the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And that's a good place to start. But according to Jesus, caring for the down and out... That tops the list. Caring for those who are sick. Caring for those who are troubled. Caring for the, those who are lonely. Those who are in trouble. Caring for those running from trouble. Caring for those that are trying to make a good life for themselves and, their, and for their families. And they just can't, can't seem to quite get there. My friends, bearing fruit is something that all of us can do. And you might be thinking, oh, I can't do it. What am I going to do? I want to tell you something, folks. Every single one of us can bear fruit. You don't have to have a university degree. You don't have to be a, a gifted leader or a technical wizard or a grand orator. All you need is the heart of Jesus Christ giving you a sensitivity to the needs of others and a willingness to do something. To serve. When Dr. Elizabeth Kubler-Ross was researching her famous book on death and dying, she, was, she came across a story of a woman who was a member of a hospital's janitorial crew she spent her days emptying trash cans and mopping floors and tidying up and those kinds of things. But the medical staff began to notice that each time she finished cleaning the room of a dying patient, that patient was invariably more content and happier, more at peace. And so Dr. Kubler-Ross interviewed her to find out why, and she discovered that this woman had known a lot of her own fears and tragedies in her life, as well as, as good times when others helped her know the love of God. She'd been up and she'd been down. The worst time was when her three-year-old son came down with pneumonia. And so she brought him to the public health clinic, and he died in her arms while she waited her turn. 
Now all of that could have embittered her. But instead, it gave her a heart for helping others who were in distress like she had been when her son died. She said, you see, doctor, the dying patients are just like old acquaintances to me. And I'm not afraid to touch them, to hold their hands, to talk with them, to offer hope and to pray with them. And Dr. Kubler-Ross said that consequently they promoted this woman. She was no longer a part of the janitorial crew. Her new title became Special Counselor for the Dying. This woman, with few resources at her disposal, made her life count for something. All because she had the heart of Christ and she had that sensitivity to the needs of other people and she was willing to do something about it. Some of you may be fans of the Irish rock singer Bono from the band U2. Um, Since 1985, Bono and his wife Allie have been working for underprivileged people around the world, especially in Africa. And he recalls an incident that really affected his thinking about his responsibility in the world. You see, back in 1985, he and Ali spent a month living in Ethiopia near a feeding station. They were doing some volunteer work while they were there. And one day, this man, this African man, this Ethiopian man, walked up to Bono and thrust his baby into Bono's arms. And he said... You take my son. If you take him, he'll live. And Bono thought to himself, how deep could a country's suffering be that a father would give up his own son to a stranger if it might save his son's life? And it was at that point that Bono and Ali realized that they could not go back to complacency. Bono understood that to be confronted with this kind of misery required him to do something. And, and I don't know how many people around the world that Bono has helped since that awakening back in 1985. I'm sure it has been thousands and it may, may even be millions. And I know that you and I don't have the same resources that Bono has. And we don't have the, the name recognition. We don't have the opportunities that Bono has. But listen to this, folks. Even if we can help one person, according to Jesus, it will be remembered. So the worst thing that we can do in the world is nothing. But I want you to notice one more thing about this story. And I, and I realize you're feeling it. This is heavy, isn't it? This is heavy stuff. And it's hard to hear. And I realize that a sermon like this can be guilt-inducing. I feel it. I hope you do. But listen to this, folks. I want you to notice that there is a note of grace here. The owner of the fig tree said to the caretaker, for three years I've been coming to look for fruit on this tree and I haven't found any. Cut it down. Why should it use up the soil? 
But the caretaker replied, Sir, let's leave it alone for one more year and I'll dig around it. I'll make sure there are no weeds. I'll, I'll fertilize it. And if it bears fruit next year, fine. If not, then we'll cut it down. I think that's interesting, don't you? The caretaker asks for one more year before he cuts it down. And that introduces the note of grace into this story. Pastor Jerry Flurry says that he once worked in the, the insurance business. And in insurance, there's, a, there's something known as a, as a grace period which is defined as the additional period of time a lender or an insurance policy provides for a client to make past due payments without penalty. Well, Pastor Flurry says that there are a number of Christians living in their spiritual grace period. And that's probably true for most of us. Because we can look over our lives and we can see plenty of opportunities that, that we have had to do the right thing to do the loving thing for others. Things that would have brought glory to God. And what did we do? Nothing. But fortunately, Christ is not interesting, interested in cutting us down like a barren fig tree. What He wants is for us to take this period of grace and examine our hearts and to ask ourselves during this grace period in our lives if we are living the best kind of life that we can live. Or are we just taking up space on this planet? Christ used His grace period to redeem us from sin and death. Are we using our grace period to reach out to help others? Or are we doing nothing? Amen. Let's sing together our closing hymn, Share His Love. And this sums it all up, folks, to share the love of Jesus Christ, to share His love by telling what what the Lord has done for us, to share His love by sharing of our faith, and to show the world, not just to tell the world, but to, to show the world that Jesus Christ is real to you. Every moment, every day. Let's stand and sing.
This is a Franciscan benediction that I think is very appropriate for this day. May God bless you with discomfort at easy answers, half-truths, and superficial relationships, so that you may live deep within your heart. May God bless you with anger at injustice, oppression, and exploitation of others, so that you may work for justice, freedom, and peace. May God bless you with tears to shed for those who suffer pain, rejection, hunger, and war, so that you may reach out your hand to comfort them and to turn their pain into joy. And may God bless you with enough foolishness to believe that you can make a difference in the world so that you can do what others claim cannot be done to bring justice and kindness to all our children and to the poor. Amen.